and one of the pastors here, <clears throat> I probably um, need to just make a quick announcement. Today's the last time that I'm going to be preaching, and um, it's quite common news to our fellowship. We made an announcement um, probably a few weeks, if not months ago now, <clears throat> and, um, and that was kind of privately, I suppose, in-house, but publicly, um, we never made an announcement, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm making it now that I'll be stepping down for at least a year um, from all pastoral um, commitments. And so I say that because you know, today's going to be the last time I'm preaching, um, at least for a while. And, <clears throat> and it's crazy because this text, I wasn't supposed to preach. <laughs> it was scheduled for someone else, but it worked out that they couldn't, and then I had to do it. And so I say that as a bit of a disclaimer, and you'll see why in a minute. Um, but welcome to our series in 1 Corinthians. Um, and the series is called Grow Up. Grow Up. And we feel that's the, you know, one of the main sentiments being communicated in this um, particular book in the New Testament. And <clears throat> with regards to, to this topic, um, that's the general theme of the whole book. Um, but... The message for our title today is, I know my rights, but. I know my rights, but. Um, if you go to that next slide for me. Um, in, 19, in 1948, the, the United Nations created um, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And I'm saying the title of the message is, I know my rights. It's like. Um, do you know your rights? Well, the United Nations um, determined 30 articles that outlined um, the rights of every single human being internationally. Um, 30 articles. I'm not going to read all of them. I'll read a few of them. Number one, all human beings are born free and equal. Number two, everyone is entitled. Everyone is entitled to the same rights without discrimination of any kind. Number three, Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security. Number four, no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Number five, no one shall be subjected to torture or cruel or degrading treatment or punishment. And so the list continues. <clears throat> now that's international law. As far as national law, one example, in the United States... Um, Declaration of Independence that was celebrated just a few days ago, right, on the 4th of July. Um, there's a well-known phrase that gives three examples of the unalienable rights which the Declaration says have been given to all humans by their creator and which governments are created to protect. And it's this. You've probably heard it before. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And this wonderful political statement actually sometimes clashes with challenging spiritual statements. How many of you know, how many of you know we live in a culture that's similar to that of the Corinthian church to whom this letter was originally written to um, in what is commonly termed for them the same as us, a very individualistic society saying, and, and Christians at this time, they were taking one another to court because 
because they could, not necessarily because they should. And the challenge in our text today is, as a Christian, is it always right to exercise your rights? Everyone has the right to exercise their rights, but some choose not to. In the previous verses to our section, if you could put the next slide up for me, we heard last week in verse 9, Paul says, Be careful, however, that, notice, the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to others. Paul says, you have the right to eat meat. But if your eating of meat last week causes your vegan sister to stumble, your right has now become a wrong. Another example could be alcohol. We'll see this in chapter 14 a little later. As a Christian, you're free to drink alcohol. But would you exercise that right when you're out with a brother who used to be an alcoholic and is, is teetotal? They don't drink anymore. Well, I got, it's my right to drink. I don't business. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't. Well, hope, hopefully you wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, it's like I'm, I'm saying you're free to have a glass of wine. That's fine. Back in the day, um, we used to have parties that we used to go to, and, and the party was like you couldn't get in unless you bring a bottle. You know what I mean? I've, I, and, and I reflect on that, and I think, you remember Jesus went to a party, or he went to a wedding at Cana in the book of John, right? And not only did he bring a bottle, he brought a whole vineyard <laughs> with him, <laughs> let alone a bottle. How many of you know you can support your right to drink wine with scripture? No doubt. But if you cause your brother to stumble, you have now broken the scripture. Last week, Paul said, as you can see um, just on, the, on, on that previous verse, verse 12, he says, on that previous slide, he says, he says, when you sin against them, that is your, your brother or your sister, you know what I'm saying, in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. You know what I'm saying? That's demanding your rights when that potentially could affect someone else. Yeah, it's your right. So you can be faithful to Scripture and at the same time break the Scripture depending on the context. We have rights, we're free, but on certain occasions, love becomes the limiter of our liberty. Let me say that again. We have rights and we are free, but on certain occasions, love becomes the limiter of our liberties. Let's read our text for today and then we'll pray and try and jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 to 14. <clears throat> Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are, you, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am an apostle, at least I am, t if, 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 if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and, 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 and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, verse 6? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? 
Who serves as a soldier at his, at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If, if, others, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much again, week to week, back to back. We are so grateful for your word, um, because it is a light to our paths, it's a lamp to our feet. It illuminates, Lord, the direction in which we should go and that by your clear definition and direction. Thank you, Lord. It's one thing, <laughs> we're grateful for your word and it's one thing having your word. It's another thing obeying it. It's another, it's another thing, Lord, allowing it to impact our lives and bring about real change. And change, Lord, that helps us to, to, to reflect you, to look more like you. Um, because you don't really have that many people representing you on the earth. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that this would impact us and cause us to change and be transformed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name and for his fame we pray. Amen. Amen. So these Christians in Corinth, they've been asking Paul a whole bunch of questions. Questions about relationships. <laughs> questions about marriage. Questions about singleness, if you remember. Questions about eating food last week, sacrificed to idols, right? And we know the questions asked because of the nature of Paul's answers. And today, the big question on the table is about money. Paul, should we have to financially support you? And it's funny, it's like, even as I mentioned money, you might be listening for the first time and think, oh, here we go. Typical, you know, this is what they talk about in church. Money, 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 money. No, we hardly ever, we rarely talk. I think we can count on, on, I can count on two hands the amount of times as a church we've talked about money. You know, so maybe a few more than that in 16, 17 years. You know what I'm saying? So if you're here, trust me, money ain't something that we talk about all the time because... We're not that rinsing church, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, disclaimer in it. Um, but it's, 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 it's where we are in the text. Like, is it fair to say we, we, we work through portions of the Bible verse by verse, and it's just where we've arrived at? We, we, you know what I'm saying? We've been, goodness, six months now in 1 Corinthians, and it's just where we arrive at. So I'm just saying, if you're here today for the first time, like, Allow, allow me, like, allow us, you know what I'm saying? It's in the text, it's, it's where, we're, where we're at. Um, and the big question on the t table about money, if you like, 
The Corinthian church are saying, Paul, should we have to financially support you? And that particularly because, Paul, you don't really come across as very impressive. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, <laughs> you're, 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 you're nothing like the super apostles, you know what I'm saying, that are on the current spiritual circuit, like which would include, as we will see, as we just heard, as we read, the apostle Peter, James, and probably John, specifically Jude, you know what I'm saying? Some of the significant 12, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we, we don't pay you anything, Paul. I mean, you don't charge us for ministry, you know what I'm saying? And you know what they say, you get what you pay for, and we ain't paying for nothing. <laughs> we don't pay you nothing, Paul, and it makes us question the worth of your ministry. In light of this, today, Paul decides, <laughs> they're asking him all these questions, Paul decides to ask them some questions. And what we find in the text is there are more questions than answers. Did you notice, as we read, 17 questions in 14 verses? And it's, and it's mad. This portion of the text isn't easy for me to preach because, as I said at the outset, seven reasons why the Christian leader should be paid. <laughs> oh, maybe it's a good one as I duck out. It's like, okay, Paul's first question. In, in view of whether, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> in view of whether or not he should get paid, Paul says, wait a minute. He goes, if you're gonna, you're, are you seriously asking that question? He says, am I not free? He says, look, I meaning, do I not have liberties? You know what I'm saying? Surely I have rights like everybody else. Everyone's got rights. Doesn't that include me? You know what I'm saying? Am I not an apostle? What? Just because I don't place financial demands on you, does that nullify my apostleship? You guys are questioning my qualifications now. Like, what are you saying? You're trying to say that I'm a fraud? Okay, well... You're asking a question. Well, here are my qualifications. I'm going to give you two. Number one, have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Do you remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul was on the road to Damascus about a different kind of mission, and God arrested him, and I'm saying, lick him off his horse, blind him, and I'm saying, and my man had an epiphany, in it? And at that point, Paul was transformed, and he became a different man, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and he literally saw Jesus who commissioned him, who sent him now on a mission, which is what he was exercising. And it's one of the things that identify him as an apostle. One of the things, in order for you to be an apostle, you'd have had to see Jesus and be commissioned, like the 12 were in Matthew 28, by the Lord Jesus himself, personally. Paul had that. And I'm saying that's the first credential. Number two, he says, wait a minute, he says, are you... The people who are questioning whether or not I'm valid, you know what I'm saying, and whether I should, you know what I'm saying, receive any kind of financial remuneration, is like, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Surely it's completely inappropriate for you to question my apostleship. If it were not for me, there would be no church in Corinth. You wouldn't exist as Christians. Verse 2, if... If, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, verse 2, for you are the seal of my apostleship. 
You are the seal of, of my apostleship. If it were not for me, wow, don't let me go there, says Paul. Now, he says they're the seal of his apostleship. <laughs> Say that slowly, you know. Um, how many of you know, whenever an important document um, was posted in the ancient world, um, a seal was put on that document, you know what I mean? Um, which secured the document from opening and from being tampered with. But also the seal would identify the validity of the sender, right? Paul's like, you are the metaphorical seal that proves my identity. You are the rubber stamp of my apostleship. Paul's like, I was called by the Lord in Acts 9, and there you are, here are the results. You. I can't believe I'm here being put on trial, says Paul. Anyway, verse 3, this is my defense, those two points, to those who would examine me, in verse 3. How are you going to question my calling, my apostleship? Forevermore. Back to the issue of liberty, right, that he started last week in chapter 8. Verse 4, he says, do we not notice, do we not, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Like Paul knows his rights, you know. <laughs> He's like, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And now this is a little bit of sarcasm. Paul's like, imagine, I come to preach, you know, and you lot don't even cover my expenses. Forget about getting paid, you know. <laughs> I come to preach and I've got to buy my own lunch. Like he said in the previous chapter, I don't, always, I don't always use my rights, but ain't I human? You know what I'm saying? Like, haven't I been created in the image of God? Like, don't, don't I also have rights and privileges? And, and notice, Paul isn't just defending himself because in, the, in verse 4, he says, we, do we not have the right, you know what I'm saying? And he's speaking about him and Barnabas. Because it was him and Barnabas back in the day from the church of Antioch. Remember, they left in Acts chapter 13 and they went out and started um, preaching the gospel, making converts and planting churches. Him and his boy Barnabas, you know, out there on a mission. He's like, he says, what? He says, so, so what? Are, are we second-rate apostles? Because we don't always demand our rights. I was like, I, I, thought that was a, I thought that would be a virtue. Could you put up that next slide for me, please? You never believe, yeah? I was walking up the high street this week. And I'm walking up the street. And I, I can't say I was definitely considering the message. But during the course of the week, obviously coming up to preaching... I'm constantly considering the message. The one with the car. I'm consider constantly considering the message, innit? So I'm walking up the high street and I see this car. And I see it's a nice car in it. And I won't describe the driver. Um, I see this car, yeah. And I couldn't help but look. Because I'm with the boys sometimes, you know, I'm always trying to school them, teach them about different things, you know, loads of different things in life. And you always, so all, one of the things we always talk about is cars and different types of cars. And, and I say, can you name, can you, can you tell me that model of car from the back? And, you know what I'm saying, and the shape. Now, they're, they're so good at it. They, they, they're, they're schooling me on cars, you know what I'm saying? And um, so anyway, well, and I see this car and I'm like, wow. 
big black Land Rover Discovery, nice, shiny, with this number plate, AP05TLE. Now, if you can't see the picture on the screen and you're listening, you know what I'm saying, on, on sermon.net on MP3 or, you know what I'm saying, and you can't see the screen, you need to work it out. AP05TLE. Now, maybe if Paul drove a vehicle like this, and I'm saying, with a, personal, a personalized number plate saying apostle on it, maybe he'd get some ratings. Paul, Paul says, look, what? We're not on the levels like the others. I'm saying, verse 5, you know what I'm saying, like them. Verse 5, do, do, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles, the, you know, some of the super apostles, and the brothers of the Lord, James. Remember, Jesus' brothers were James and Jude, you know what I'm saying. And Cephas, who's just a nickname for Peter, the apostle. It's just them guys, isn't it? And them guys are on levels. But we're not really on the levels. You know what I'm saying? Verse 6. Or is it just only... Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? See, evidently, these apostles were, number one, married. Um, Paul and Barnabas weren't, although they could have been. And number two, they could have been financially supported to bring their wives along if they had them. And that's what was happening. Peter, James, Jude, and, 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 and these other apostles, they were doing ministry and getting paid along with their wives. Now, what does this mean? On this point, John MacArthur, <laughs> I feel quite safe quoting John MacArthur, you know. He's not Jesus, but... You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's an authority in the scriptures. You know what I'm saying? And this is consistent with many other commentators. On this point, John MacArthur says, a pastor should be financially supported to the point where his wife shouldn't need to work unless she chooses to. And instead of paying the pastor enough, if at all, and I'm saying, often what people expect is for the wife to work. And then people get offended when the pastor's wife isn't at every meeting, the pastor's wife isn't supporting all the ladies, the pastor's wife isn't opening her house and having coffee mornings, because she's working full time and she's exhausted. Now, you know, remember, I said, this is, this is John MacArthur that said this. <laughs> One of the things that we tend to do here is, at Ecclesia, we're only a little church, and we don't really have much money, but anytime we invite someone to come and preach, you know what I'm saying, um, we try to be a blessing to them, and that financially. We bless them with a little bit of an offering. Especially if they come from abroad, we always will invite them when they come and say, look, we'd love you to come. But when you come, bring your wife with you. And our aim is not bring her with you and you pay the fare. You know what I'm saying? We underwrite that. Bring your wife with you. Even though we don't have a lot of money, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes it takes us a while to even make that payment. <laughs> but it's the principle. We want to be a blessing to the man of God. 
and also his wife. You know, whenever I'm invited to go and, and preach somewhere and they, and, and they invite me and my wife, it's nice, you know what I'm saying? And that not at my own expense, you know what I'm saying? And often when I go to preach and my wife, Helen, doesn't come with me, and then sometimes I, I receive like an honorarium and they might bless me like with a hundred pound or, you know what I'm saying, 150 pound or whatever it might be. Often when I get home, I just, and it's normally a check. I, when I get home, I normally just give it to my wife. If she, if she doesn't come with me, I get home, I just give it to my wife. And I say, honey, you know, take this, go and buy yourself something nice with it. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to bless my wife and I don't want her to resent the ministry. You know what I'm saying? I get to go here, go there, do this, do that. And, um... I don't want her to feel like, oh, my husband is out here doing all of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And in one sense, it's like, it's great that you're doing that. And I'm fully behind you, most wives will say to their husbands who are pastors. You know what I'm saying? But there's sometimes a point where it's like, okay, it's great that you're doing all of that. But it's not two things. One, you're out the house a lot. And two, you being out the house is not contributing to the house. In two ways, it's taken away from the house. You not being present and also financially. And it can be tough. That's why I will do that. I'll just say, honey, you take this. Go and buy yourself something nice. Because I never want her to ever feel like, rah, resent the ministry. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's why sometimes you have divorce in the ministry. It's not always the reason, but it's sometimes the reason. Preachers running around doing ministry without ever paying attention to their wives. And, it's, and, and you know, it's mad. It's not always a question of, oh, this pastor and his wife, they need serious intervention. You know, they need, they need some serious marriage counseling now. No, it's not always a matter of counseling. Sometimes it's a matter of pound sterling. To quote John MacArthur. And I'm with Johnny Mac on that one. How, how do you see it? And society agrees with John MacArthur, or should I say society agrees with the Apostle Paul, because he's really the one fundamentally making the point. Look at verse 7, as Paul gives three examples. Verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? I'm not... Thank you. Great anticipation. Who... Who serves as a soldier? We, get, we need to get rid of that picture of the car, innit? <laughs> who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Hear the question. It's like, it's, 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 it's. which soldier fights for his country in the daytime and then has to work nights to pay the bills? How I many of you know, on top of his pay, he gets uniform, he gets ammunition, man gets food. He gets pension. Is it only Paul and Barnabas that have no rights? And have to work in the ministry and then have to go and also work for a living. Another example. He says, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? That would be torture. Or, or, or here's another example. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Would you hate on the, 
on the shepherd who, and I'm saying, has a little bit of the milk as he's taking care of the sheep. Like these, these, these questions, they're rhetorical questions, but we all know the answers. Three examples from regular life that support Paul's argument, right? But apart from regular examples from everyday life, you know, verse 8, Paul says, do I say these things on human authority? Is it just human examples? Is it, is it just society at large that says this? He says, no. He says, it says the Bible says so too. He says, in the middle of verse 8, does not the law say the same? Meaning the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Pente, meaning five. It's the, it's the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, the law. He says, does not, does not the Old Testament, does not the law agree? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now you can see the picture of oxen on the screen, yeah? These oxen have been muzzled. That means the front of their, their mouths are covered. Why? So they cannot eat while they tread out the grain. Now, treading out the grain, what I think the Egyptians used to do originally, and the Israelites kind of got that from the Egyptians, where they would get a massive rock, chisel it out into, into like a, a stone wheel, and then they'd attach that via a harness to the oxen, and the oxen would tread, walk, and as they walk around in a circle, the big, big stone rock would, would crush the wheat. And you know the wheat, when they cut it, um, they drop it on the floor. When it gets crushed, it would separate the husk from the, the wheat, it's from the kernel. And that's what the, that's what the oxen used to do as they tread out, as they work, you know, probably in the, in the sun hot, working, you know, turning that wheel, you know. Urgh. Hard work, you know. Turning it. How wicked and bad it would be. Say, right, we're going to get you to work, but we're going to put a muzzle on you so you can't eat while you're working. Paul says, God says in the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads. Let the ox eat in it while it's working. Let the ox benefit from the work that it's doing. There's so much grain, it's not going to be able to eat all of it. Let it. And Paul's question is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Now, I mean, the way I painted the picture, you'd think, wow, the poor ox. Yeah, make the ox eat, man, right? But Paul says, is the Lord even talking about, in the context of Deuteronomy 25, it's talking about socioeconomic relationships. This is talking about how people are supposed to function. It's not even talking about oxen. Warren Wiersbe, I love this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says, since oxen cannot read, the verse was not written for them. <laughs> Paul says in verse 10, does he not speak entirely <laughs> for our sake? It was written for our sake, in case you don't know. It was written for our sake. Because the plowman, which is another um, slide I've got, if you could put it up. Because the plowman, Paul's giving example after example, back-to-back -back examples that they would have understood. 
I'm saying. He says, he says does, it not, does it not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope. And the thresher, thresh in hope, notice, of sharing in the crop. Now here's the application. If you never see it coming, right? Verse 11, Paul says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The first thing is you, can, you compare the material to the spiritual, and one is at another level, you know what I'm saying? So in one sense, Paul's saying, I've been giving you, I've been giving you diamonds. I've been giving you gold and silver and platinum for the, the language of the investors. You know what I'm saying? Stuff that's worth something. You know what I'm saying? Surely, if I'm giving you something that has so much value, you know what I'm saying? Just asking for a little bit in return, you know what I'm saying? That will contribute to helping me to continue to provide you with all of this good spiritual stuff. Is it unfair? You know what I'm saying? Is it too... The man, the man, listen to the language. The man says, is it too much? If we, like the ox, can just eat a couple grains and you benefit us materially, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and the, the world that we live in is, you know what I'm saying, is financially. That's, you know, can you see the application? Verse 12, Paul's like, you know what, come on now. Like, you're out here judging us. You know, you, you, you've seen us as frauds. You don't even res- you don't, you don't, you don't have no respect for us. You, know what I'm you have no regard for us, <laughs> let alone want to contribute to us. You know what I'm saying? Paul says, he says, verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, and some of them are rinsing you, absolutely, categorically, I'm saying, I haven't got time to go into how, you know I'm saying, some have, have used the gospel, you know what I'm saying, um, in ways that are unrighteous and going beyond even what is written. And not just saying, okay, you know, it's a right that we have to, to eat from the gospel. No, they're demanding it. And they'll put, you know what I'm saying, they will, they will, they will, they will, they will put, put you under um, they will spiritually manipulate and blackmail you by telling you God will curse you if you don't give to me. I ain't got time to talk about that. And Paul's saying, there are some that are like that and they're abusing you and you're quick and ready to run and go give to them without question. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim, and then you've got got those who are doing it righteously, like the apostles, like Peter, like the guys, he just named them. They're doing it properly, and they're getting benefited and blessed. It's right. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, man said, do we not even more? It's like we've poured out our lives for you. And that would be an understatement as far as the Corinthian church was concerned and as far as Paul and Barnabas were concerned. I mean, my man's still, look, my man's still pouring out. He's, he's not even with them in, in the current geographical context. He's writing, who got time to write 16 chapters? Who's got time for that? But Paul found time for that because he loves them. 
And yet, no regard, not forever, not even no regard, that would be bad. Disregard. No, but, no, but watch this. But after all of that, listen to the surprise in the middle of verse 12. You probably heard it when we read it. Paul says, after, oh, after me laying up my rights, you know, I know my rights, you know. He says, but nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything and everything, if you like, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We have rights like everybody else. We are free. But on certain occasions, love becomes the limiter of our liberty. And where did Paul get this from? And why should we take this principle to heart? You know what I'm saying? Well, because it was the example of his master, who is our master, the Lord Jesus, right? In Philippians chapter 2. Paul's, um, and this is Paul writing. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, I beg you, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, notice, you got rights, but count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each, let each of you look not only to his own interests. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, notice, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's like, you'd be like, well, I don't really think this way. Yeah, I know. That's why we're having to talk about it. I don't think this way naturally. You know what I'm saying? But after becoming Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've got new software, new iOS update. You know what I'm saying? Like We're supposed to function differently compared to the way we used to. And it starts in our thinking. And he says, you have, Robert, you have the capacity, believe me or not. You have the, no, believe me. You have the capacity to think the thoughts of Christ. To, to think, I can think like, you can think like Jesus. And guess what? If you begin to think like Jesus, hey, you might even begin to act like Jesus. He's saying, he's saying have this mind. Old New King James says, let this mind be in you. <laughs> you have to let it. Remember the old time preaching, Pastor. Let you have to you you have to let it. Let it. Let this mind have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus walking around, it says right as God, yeah, to do what he pleases. Lord, you dwell in the heavens and you do as you please. Right?
Look what he didn't do. Who, though he was in the form of God, like, he did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. Now, this is Trinitarian language. So you've got the Father, you've got the Spirit, and you also got the Son. Do you know what I'm saying? And as God the Son, you know what I'm saying, who, when he was, um, what do you call it when Jesus, when Jesus was incarnated, when Jesus, you know what I'm saying, put on flesh, John chapter 1, when he tabernacled or came to live in a body, a physical human body. He wasn't saying to himself, you know what, I'm God, like, why am I doing this? Why am I down here? Why, why am I even, why, why am I down here? I, this is beneath me. <laughs> I'm God. Wait, what happened to my God rights? My, like, he didn't say that. And he didn't feel that, you know what? I come down here let me, and, and in five minutes change his mind and then go grasping back for, I, I, I want to be God again. I, I don't like this. I mean, Jesus had a plethora of reasons why he could have said, I don't like this. I mean, can you imagine, how do you begin to describe the difference between one minute being God in all your glory and then being a, a man walking around on dusty soil and, and, and having to take... All of that would be one thing. And then having to take people abuse you. Having to take people mistreat you. And, and as, the con, as, as, as the text goes on to say, notice, um, let me just read verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something he had to hold on to, you know what I'm saying? He was happy to let it go in one sense. But made himself nothing in comparison to what he had. Look, look at him now. Like you could, the Bible says, when like looking at Jesus, you, you wouldn't have thought anything special about him. He just looked like any other regular man. You know what I'm saying? In the sense that he was a man. And being found in human form, notice how he responded. He humbled himself by becoming, look, he became, I mean, to say that he humbled himself is an understatement. Just becoming a man. I can't even, I cannot, I can't, obviously I'm struggling to describe it. Jesus, just becoming a man was gigantic humility. But notice, he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by also becoming obedient to the point of death. Even, I mean, and you think, wow, God has become a man. Wow. But it don't stop there, Robert, really. No, you become a man, you know what I'm saying? Now he's going to die. But that don't, how, how can God die? And it doesn't stop there. Not any, other, not any normal kind of death. But the humiliating death of, on a cross where you are... Look, I ain't got time. Where Jesus was scourged, he was mocked, he was beaten, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that before he got to the cross where he was nailed to it and hung up, strung up like a criminal between two criminals, stark naked. 
being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you see how Jesus gave up his rights? He didn't have to, but he, he did it for the sake of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see why he done it? I mean, it's one thing for the son to suffer. How did the, how did the, the father feel? as he saw his son suffer. It's too much. By the way, <laughs> if you like, Paul gives us not only clear, a, a, a clear, articulate, consistent argument for his rights, and then, and then he denies them. And then he shows you why, because of his great example in Jesus. And the challenge is then put to us to do likewise. And that, as Richie said last week, for love. We have rights, we are free. But on certain occasions, in certain contexts, love becomes the limiter of our liberty. And then he ends. And I love the way he goes back to this. Paul, he's a G, you know. Verse 13 and 14, he says, Do you not know? Because <laughs> you'd think he could just stop there. Done. You know what I'm saying? He's got a little bit more to say, and then he's got more to say next week. Really, next week could be, um, I know my rights, but part two could be. Verse 13, he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, you could put that other um, thing up for me, please. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? You'd be like, Paul, you've gone back to that thing? You've gone back to that argument? You've gone back to prove that point again? Like, we got the point, you know, Pete. He's like, why is he going back to this? I'm saying, he says, oh, in the Old Testament, remember the priest, they, they were there in the temple and the people brought their sacrifices. Well, some of the sacrifices, a limited amount of the sacrifices were completely burnt up like the burnt offering, you know what I'm saying, to the Lord. You know what I'm saying, a sweet-smelling savor. But then some of, some of the other sacrifices, a whole heap of the other sacrifices, the flour, you know what I'm saying, and the oil, and you know what I'm saying, the other animal sacrifices, parts of them were burnt, but parts of them the priests had and took home and could eat. That's how um, Hophni and Phinehas got themselves in trouble back in the day because they were taking it and selling it and making money, you know what I'm saying? Some things don't change. <laughs> my, my bad hand. Some things don't change, you know. No, it never hurt that bad. It's just reflexes. Um, get back to the point, Robert. My man goes back to this issue of, like, it, like Paul, you made the point. Why are, you, why, are you nailing, why are you hitting the nail again from another angle, right? Verse 14, in the same way, notice. Paul's like saying, just in case you think I was just making that big point and now I'm saying, okay, there's my rights, I'm not going to take them. You know what I'm saying? So, and it lets you off the hook in one sentence. He said, no. In the same way, verse 14, <laughs> the Lord didn't recommend. You see the word? The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. What I see in this as I close is, as much as Paul doesn't demand his rights, 
Can you see how Paul is demanding rights for others? Can you see that? As much as I may not demand my rights, you know what I'm saying? I'm committed, and you should be committed to fighting for the rights of others. And Paul's saying, come on now. Support your pastor financially. Support those who, who provide for you spiritually, materially. Come on now. Make sure you do it. Even though I'm not demanding the right for me, <laughs> make sure you do With that in mind, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word again. And thank you, Lord, for your people. Um, thank you, Lord, for your ministers. Thank you, Lord, for those who give themselves. In Timothy, it talks about those who work hard at teaching and preaching deserve double honor. And the word honor is honorarium. It's not just, whoa, great, we love you. Someone said, don't clap, throw money. And sometimes, Lord, that's the case. That needs to be the case, Lord. And, and, and my prayer, Lord, especially for, for our church, Lord, is that we would arrive at a place. This is the challenge to the Corinthians, Lord, that we would arrive at a place, Lord, where we value not only the gospel, but we value gospel ministers to the point, Lord, where we allow them, give them, provide for them and their wives if they're married and their children, their families, Lord, support. It's great when we put our arm around them and tell them that we love them. It's great when we send them an email or send them a text. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be really challenged because, Lord, this is a principle. Furthermore, furthermore, it's a command. And I pray, Lord, that that we wouldn't scrimp on giving, that we would value, Lord, people. I heard, Lord, a pastor said to me one time, Robert, like, like, how much of you, the money in your church do you give to people? And I said, well, about maybe, maybe five, maybe 10%. He couldn't believe it, Lord. He said, 80% of our income in our church goes to pay and support people. Lord, if we did that, we wouldn't be able to pay the bills. There'd be no light. We wouldn't have no internet. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, and even those who may be hearing otherwise, Lord, to value. We value some, we spend money on so many things. Because we, we see them as important. We see them as valuable. How much do we value, Lord, the ministry of the church and ministers? I pray that you challenge us, Lord, on that so that we would give. Because you're no man's debtor, Lord. If we give to good causes, give to good Christian ministries, Lord, you're never going to see us without. I know that's my testimony. I have never, ever begged bread. Never, ever been in a place. Sometimes, like, you think, okay, how next month, how are we going to make it? But next month comes, and there's always food in the cupboards. There's always milk in the fridge. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to give in this fashion, in such a way that, 
our ministers, Lord, can be well supported so they can give themselves to the ministry and not have to try to juggle and spin multiple plates and end up them falling and crashing to the ground and then getting the blame for it. Lord, this is a responsibility for all of us, <laughs> not just for those who are not pastors or preachers. It's preachers have to contribute to, Lord, I'm entreating you that you would work in our hearts to that end. And then, in conjunction with that, Lord, I pray for parents, Lord, because this principle, pray for parents, Lord, who feel like they're not really being appreciated Lord, this principle of liberty, yeah, you have a right to get some sleep at night, but your newborn baby needs your attention. Lord, I pray that, we would, that this would translate, Father, children would be more respectful to their parents. They don't need to be in the sense that they can do what they like, but there are implications, there are ramifications. Love and respect your elders, your parents, in order that you may, you may live long. They're ramifications. Lord, I pray for employees and employers, Lord, that we would practice this principle. We wouldn't be so quick, our society, so quick to demand our rights. Help us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, Sorry, I went off a little bit there. Um, I think we're going to have a song. Um, so as we listen to this song, and maybe sing, because you you're socially distancing in your house, you can sing. We can't sing in public, that's the problem. Um, but yeah, as you sing this song, yeah, contemplate um, this message. And um, yeah, may God work in your heart. May God work in my heart um, in ways that will be transformational. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.